Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine this. You're stranded on an island forever. But don't freak out because you get to bring one dish with you. Your desert island dish. What is it? Every week, your hosts, Paul and Tegan, that's us. Hello. Hello. We'll ask this question. They'll chat with and torment a literal raft of guests on the island who'll dish up stories, gossip, and culinary secrets. But they all have one big thing in common. They bloody love food. Welcome to Dish. Hello and welcome to another piping hot episode of Dish. I'm Paul Verhoeven. And I'm Tegan Higginbotham. And Paul, I have a question for you. Okay. So as you know, every week we invite a guest to our island, trap them here forever, they can only bring one dish for the rest of time. I think by now we've established the premise pretty clearly. Yes. Okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with the premise, yes. <laughs> Thank God. But here's another hypothetical for you, Paul. If you could save humanity, or at the very least advance humanity, yeah. would you leave planet Earth mm. on a one-way mission to set up the very first human colony on Mars? So say goodbye to everything. Say goodbye to your friends, your family, and most importantly... My Lego. Your food. Oh, okay. All of the food you love. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you do this, Paul? The thing is, and this is a real problem, Tegan, space is really big. I mean, it's it's very big. It's like several MCGs put together. It's at least three and a half MCGs. <laughs> the problem is, it's it's... It's so many phobias rolled into one, and there's nothing else out there. It's not like... Because the thing is, we haven't got, like, outposts throughout space where you can check well, in. Well, no, this is the point of this mission, yeah. is you need to go and you need to be one of those first explorers and, and set up the outpost. I don't really... Because when you go to a party and you're the first one there, it's terrifying. Multiply that by a billion, right? And take... It with the, oh, my God. I don't want to live in some sort of vacuum-sealed shed on a desert planet so far away that I will never literally... I'm getting panicky just thinking about All it. All right, so I'm guessing that this is a no. This is a no from oh, you. No, it, I, like I would like to say yes. I wish I had the kind of th- this selflessness to be able to say yes and go. Look, being in this terrifying situation that I could probably never come back from because the travel time would be what? Year? No, no, no. There is no coming back. Jesus. They are not planning a return mission. The whole point is that this group is going to go there yeah. and set up the base so that maybe in the future yeah. there is the idea of a return mission. Well, the thing is, this is a real thing. Well, this is what I'm talking about, Paul. Yeah. So when we ask people to come onto the island and pick their desert island dish, it's a hypothetical. It's a fun little brain teaser in a way. Yeah. But for our guest today, the idea of her saying goodbye to everything she knows. And everyone. And going to a place where she will be isolated for the rest of eternity. Mm. This is not a fun little game. This is the reality of her future because our guest is one of the candidates for the Mars One space mission. That's right. Which aims to set up that first human colony on Mars. They're aiming to do this sometime in the 2030s, but the incredible thing about our guest is her career is basically dedicated towards sustainability and trying to leave behind an Earth that is as renewable and sustainable as possible. So basically, she's the perfect dinner guest. She's trying to make sure that everything is cleaned. You know, she wants to leave things better than they were when she when she got you there. You know, you're absolutely right, because mm. a lot of people are looking to the stars because they know that Earth 
is not looking very good. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like it's like fucking up the house you live in instead of just cleaning it up, buying a new house. I think that's why a lot of people are looking to space. But this guest, she's trying to build the best house she can here on Earth and then build an even better one on Mars. It is God, I think she might be the best person on Earth. Yeah, it's pretty which is it's a real shame that then we're probably losing her. So our <laughs> when I went to university, I had this friend who lived in a kind of share house, right? And rather than cleaning his dishes like a normal person, he would buy paper plates and like uh, Stop plastic, it. Are and plastic you yeah, and then he would just use it and throw it out. And that's the kind of, I mean, that's the kind of insane. Some people just aren't wired to think about the people who are coming up after them, right? But our guest is so altruistic in her in, in her thinking. And one of the really interesting things about her field on Earth is that she is primarily concerned with waste, right? Which is well, be- not just waste. Food waste. 100%. She spends all the time thinking about how we consume food. Yeah, so naturally she is an absolutely perfect guest to have on this island. And given that the next place she's going to be going after this island is probably the red planet itself, she's perfect. She's saving the Earth. She's going to set us up on Mars. She's on our island right now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Diane McGrath. Welcome to our island, from the thoughts of being trapped on Mars, you are now trapped on our island. Bit disappointing, less, you know, <laughs> less positive for humanity in general, but thank you for coming. You're welcome. Probably warmer as well, though. Hang on. Wait. Yeah. Mars is red. Isn't it red because it's super hot? <laughs> it's red because of the iron oxide. Um, it's no, The average temperature on Mars is like minus 55. So um, one thing that an island, no matter where it is on this planet, is probably a bit warmer. I don't know why. I think I must have watched some sort of Star Trek episode when I was young and maybe there was lava or <laughs> no, something. It's, it's, just... it's like traffic lights. Red is hot. Green is... Red exactly. No, exactly. Just... <laughs> We've been conditioned to this since childhood. But it does get... It can get um, warm during the summer periods especially if you're around the equator on mars it can get up to like 27 degrees so it can get quite quite pleasant in fact actually that sounds delightful i I can make a little bit more sense in my head of why you would think about going there but we will chat to you about mars in a little while but for now we actually really wanted to speak to you because out of all of the guests that we've had on our show you probably have one of the most unique relationships with food We were really excited to talk with you because you have just completed an incredible thesis where you looked at food wastage in Australia. So I've got to ask, are we a wasteful nation? Um, Sadly, yes, we are. Um, (laughs) uh, Look, and obviously there's going to be individual cases where some people are exceptionally good at managing food and managing their budgets at home or in their businesses. But uh, as a whole, um, we waste a lot of food in Australia and more than happy to just talk about some woeful figures uh, but also happy to talk about things that people do that can make a big difference to obviously the environment because food waste is a huge um, environmental problem but also our back pockets how much are we wasting though as a nation like how how bad are we and where do we rank compared to other countries not too good uh, we waste <laughs> <laughs> We're in Australia. In fact, there's um, some new data that was literally only published uh, about a week ago, um, and that's a, an update of Australia's food waste baseline to get us a snapshot of where uh, how much food we're wasting and where it's, that's happening. And and I can tell you that the most up to date figures say we're wasting 7.6 million tons worth of food across that whole supply chain. Um, but most of it is happening for us at the consumer end. In fact, 51% of it. So we waste we waste the equivalent of about 155 kilograms of food each year. 
155 kilograms. I'm, I don't know if people are good at knowing what that kind of looks like in a visual sense, but it's like two and a half times my body weight. It's um, it's the weight of a of a bear. And this is happening. <laughs> so you say it's at the consumer end because your your study was it focused on restaurants and was focused on yeah. the food service industry. Are you saying also it's that when we're taking stuff home and it's sitting mm. in the fridge for two weeks, then we're not eating it and we're throwing out, we're, you know, we're wasting so much food that way. Is that part of that equation as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's definitely the case. Um, when I, I talked about that uh, roughly half it being at the consumer end, it's 51%, that's um, proportionally mostly at the household, but there's a chunk of that that's also when we dine out. They can still consider that the consumer end of things. Right. Um, our household is the the most amount of waste in Australia is what we do at home. It's it's estimated to be about 18% of what we buy um, oh. gets thrown away. Like that's nearly one in five shopping bags of food. So it's, it's a lot. Um, but when we dine out, it's it's not it's not exactly negligible either the figures are estimated to be roughly about restaurants cafes etc will throw away the equivalent of like 200 grams worth uh, of food per person that they serve you think about a steak a small steak is usually about 200 or or a piece of salmon on the plate it's usually yeah. cut to about a 200 gram to 250 gram piece. Um, so you can imagine that just being scraped straight into the bin. I mean, not everybody throws food away. Of course, I mean, I eat absolutely, I was brought up, no dessert unless you eat everything. So I've, I eat absolutely everything on my plate yeah. when I go out, but not everybody does. I don't know what, um, but you can't help it sometimes. You go out and the size of the meals you get served are massive, absolutely massive. You've touched onto something there because it depends on that message that you've grown up with. Mm. I was also yeah. in one of those households where it was that you were not allowed to have dessert unless you finished everything <laughs> on your plate. But there is a new thing that's coming in and that I'm hearing a lot for young people, which is to eat until you're full and that you shouldn't feel this necessity to finish everything on your plate because that could be seen as gorging or you should know what your yeah what your hunger levels are at and yep. eat accordingly and mm. that's that's all well and good when it comes to looking after your health but it doesn't take that wastage element into account at all oh uh, yeah and, and that sort of leads on to like what aspect is waste w a i s t wastage versus wastage of uh, of food with a, a ge when when our health is at at risk there. I mean, and that eating to mo in moderation should be like, I guess you can think of drinking in moderation. Um, when you drink in moderation, uh, you know, you, you still finish what's in your glass usually, um, but you just don't have another glass. So it's a little bit different when you dine, isn't it? It's yeah. like, you, you, like you, you leave something on, you don't leave something in the glass. Maybe we need to serve all food in glasses or mugs. <laughs> <laughs> glasses, and people will finish it. No, I think that but that moderation movement is not a is not a bad thing. It's like conscious eating is a, is a positive thing for our our health and even our mental well being. Shows that we can um, demonstrate self control. But then why can't we then just make the choice initially to order a slightly smaller serve, or to put something um, in a doggy bag to take home or, or something like that? And I mean, it comes. It, but you touch on it, that aspect of that that social conditioning taken through either our childhood or you know the health trends today or whatever make makes waste in dining out really tricky to try and resolve in Australia and I, I say Australia because our data in this country is different to other nations when I asked restaurants and cafes to weigh how much food they were throwing away but most of it in Australia was occurring out on our plates 
that's not what you see in the data globally usually usually it's what's happening in the kitchen which is tricky because i mean if our waste in australia was happening in our kitchens in our businesses it would be about you know maybe we're not peeling slicing portioning storing cooking whatever food very well and yeah. they're all they're just processes that you can improve but if the problem's out there on our plates you know we the diner we're part of the problem as much as the business is is it our fault as much as anyone else's well it's a complex thing isn't it i mean you know the value the portions at certain types of venues you know you go you go to the pub on steak night you get a massive plate of food that you could feed a family of four but people feel like oh, that's good value tonight great value but then you go to a you know, five-star restaurant you get a big plate and a tiny serve and but that's amazing value because of the experience. So who who sets that expectation of value? Uh, and you know, so we have, I think, a bit of a responsibility as the diners as well to to say, actually, I value this is what I value, and it mightn't be a massive meal. Um, but if you do, you do have a choice to take it home. You, it's not illegal to have a doggy bag. Although the looks you get sometimes when you ask. I mean, we've been to restaurants that are pretty bougie, and I found the bougier the restaurant, the less cool they are with the doggy bag. Have you have you yeah. noticed this? Well, for maybe we just need to stop calling it a doggy bag. That's maybe that's <laughs> the problem. Maybe we need to bougie up the take-home experience. Yeah, my food chariot, please. He's <laughs> like a food chariot. <laughs> I love that. Well, you can, but you think about what we've done with keep cups, you know, and there's yeah. so many different variants of keep cups out there now. Um, it's you, you bring your own coffee cup to, well, not at the moment with COVID, of course. However, in normal, normal life, um, when one could get a takeaway coffee in your own cup, there's some really stylish ones out there. There's the, the top end of the market and your real base model. Why can't we do that with a, a doggy bag style thing too? Yeah, this is interesting. You've got to look at wastage and make it fashion and then people will get mm. on board. Oh, absolutely. Make it a bit funkier. Um, maybe the even the, the lunchbox style of thing that could be more modular. Um, oh, are you kidding me? A lunchbox? Like a, a classic era, yeah. like, you know, those little aluminium lunchbox with your favourite show and it little clasps and you get, oh, that is so retro. <laughs> Imagine, you could, I mean, I know it's very like cliche or whatever, but mm. you think of those aluminium swans that people have used in the past for doggy bags as well. Like you see them still in the US a bit mm. uh, where you know, people will fold up whatever's left in a bit of foil and a bit of a origami out of it and you've got a swan, ta-da. The swan is an inherently stylish, classy, in fact, even regal animal. Why not bring like this huge... <laughs> I want like a porcelain version of that swan. I'll, I'll twist its neck. It'll open with a kind of hiss and they can just pop the food in there. I'll whack it in my bag. If we can make it fun and funky, then I reckon I reckon a lot more people would want to take their food home. Because mm. uh, at the moment we take it, we almost, we make it secondhand. You know, you think about it, you're in the, you're in the restaurant, the cafe, you've had an amazing meal. You've got maybe enough left over to go, oh yeah, I could snack on that later for sure. But then you put it into a plastic takeaway container or they put it, it might be one of those um, eco-friendly um, compostable things, but you've taken it off a ceramic plate and put it into something like downgraded it. And then you take it home and you, and you pop it in the fridge and it's this thing in a plastic tub in the back of a fridge that's going a lot of takeaway food is thrown away It's when it gets home and sits in the fridge. And it's odd because we all know, well, not all food, but most food is better the next day, especially cold for yeah. breakfast. Not I chippies, mean, not chippies. No, okay, not chippies. Sure, you've got to finish your chippies in the restaurant, but that's not a chore. Um, <laughs> but 
but so much food is better. But you're right, you do. You, you see it in that container and all of a sudden it it not only doesn't look as appetizing, but it cheapens the whole experience. Mm. Whereas if you do have some sort of gorgeous little delivery receptacle, mm. I could imagine that really working. Paul, your comment there about the chips, I mean, soggy warmed up chips aren't very attractive. Uh, and, and no one really wants to have, you know, day old, three day old chips. Um, but I saw recently there's a new packaging innovation because, of course, packaging helps to protect good packaging can help preserve fruit, uh, food. Um, and there's a new type of packaging I saw that um, I think it's Simplot um, has developed to go with one of their crispy sort of chips or crisp, you know. Um, and, and so when it's used by delivery companies and you get it home, um, you can still, you can nuke it for a minute or not a minute, but you can pop it back in the, in the microwave. I think it's for like 20 seconds or something. And it makes the chips hot again without going soggy. Oh. It re I know. Did you just have a, oh, moment there, <laughs> Definitely. Right? I'm suddenly not as interested in all the innovation about getting us to Mars. The re-crispification <laughs> of chips, this is the future, people. Or alternatively, <laughs> you take that technology to Mars and you never have to leave because it's just... <laughs> If, if they've got good chips up there, I'll go. <laughs> that, that was the selling point for you. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Your incredible thesis isn't the only thing that's changed the way you look at food. You are a Mars One candidate seeking to establish the first permanent human settlement on Mars. It's been such a long time since uh, since we spoke about the mission. How are things tracking? Slowly, very slowly. <laughs> God damn. So you're not <laughs> no, heading like, off next year, I'm guessing. Not next year, no. <laughs> um, I, I think the, the big challenge for Mars One, because we do, uh, we, I say we, I'm speaking on behalf of the, the candidates who are left in the selection process. So there's a hundred of us left um, in this selection process worldwide, which um, you might be aware of. And Mars One, the next phase of selection is to bring all 100 of us together. A little tricky to do with this current state of uh, the uh, the climate. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I mean, in Melbourne, well, you can't even go five kilometres. So the chance of bringing us all to one nation somewhere in the world, um, is everybody fully vaccinated? What about that country? Is there political issues that someone can get there? And so... Mars One have had to sort of go, okay, we're just going to um, have to sit back for a little bit until uh, things cool down and, and then we re-establish what we can do here. So, so yeah, so that's, that's where things are at the moment from what we understand um, naturally, which makes sense. And uh, and so in the meantime, I'm continuing my own my own work in that area and on how I can get as, as Mars ready as I can, so to speak. I've been doing, uh, I've been doing training in this sort of area for, for years um, on isolation, um, I'm biohacking my body, just repairing stuff from the mental resilience side of stuff. So um, we can always, I guess it's a bit like a lot of things in COVID, right? We can, we can sit on our couches and press pause or we can choose to play another track. Yes, absolutely. And we have to play that other track and I completely agree with you. But it must be such an interesting situation for you. I mean, I'm sitting here champing at the bit to go to Europe. Your life is on hold <laughs> to go to Mars. It, it is it is such an incredible thing that you're doing with your life. But before COVID hit, and I know this because we spoke mm -hmm. a couple of times, we got to speak a fair bit about Mars, which was great. Mm -hmm. You had done some training. And I, I do mm. need to say that one of the things that you'd mentioned in this talk that we were both at, I was hosting, you were just incredible. One of the things that you mentioned actually helped Paul and I quite a fair bit in our lockdown. Yes, we've been using a centrifuge all the time. <laughs> no. 
don't know what it was. And I, I, I'm going to garble because it was such a while ago, so I know this isn't a direct quote of yours. Okay. But you were talking about the selection process and that it's not always about finding the smartest person because you can get somebody who's very smart and fill in the gaps and teach them what they need to go to survive on Mars. Mm. But a lot of that selection was about finding people who could live well with each other. And that I, I don't know whether it was you had discovered mm. this or the selectors, but that sometimes when it comes to humans, it's the small things that can mm. break a group. It's that person mm. who doesn't want to put the toilet seat back down or it's the person who refuses to put their coffee cup in the dishwasher mm. that can that can break you in isolation. So mm. Paul and I would often reflect back to this because we've been isolated together and, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not quite Mars, but we realise that... We'd murder each other if we were in space. So we had to... <laughs> we literally... We've, and we've we occasionally run into people, Diane, who, you know, are kind of struggling and we... we mm. But, you know, we wheel this story out and we and go... it resonated you know, with people that you've got to be you've got to be a bit Mars 1 about this. You've got to look mm. after the little things just as much as those big things. Yeah, yeah uh, and you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, one a great um, example of that um, mindset too, at the end of 2019, um, I spent a, a couple of weeks in a Mars habitat. Uh, I, was, um, I was in the Mars Desert Research Station that is run by the Mars Society worldwide, and that's in the Utah desert. Uh, and you spend a couple of weeks there as part of a research crew, and you essentially live on Mars. You, ha- you can't go outside without a spacesuit on. Um, you're locked away, essentially, like on Mars. Um, you're off-grid. Uh, there's really no access to the internet. Uh, water is extremely scarce. In fact, I, didn't, I don't think I really showered for two weeks, but that's all right. Um, World friends here. (laughs) (laughs) Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. During that time as well, um, we lived, you know, lived off freeze-dried food you know, or preserved food or whatever. There was nothing fresh in that environment at all. But, but one of the first things we did as a group, and there's myself and these, um, these three men, we didn't really know each other before going into this lock, lockdown experience. Um, it was very smart. The organisers locked the hab door essentially, and we grabbed ourselves a cup of tea or coffee and sat around the, the little table that's in the, the sort of kitchen, dining, everything space, and said, "Right, um, so um, what do you uh, hate? Uh, are you an early riser, a night owl, um, toilet seat up or down?" Uh, so we basically laid it all out the very first day we sat in that space together um, to do to ensure that that what you're talking about there. Paul and Tegan was exactly the case so that we would understand how we could live well together in, okay, it was only going to be a couple of weeks, but very intense weeks, really intense weeks, uh, and allowed us to work out what would be acceptable and respectful. Uh, and it, it was great fun. I could have easily stayed in that um, space for, for many, many, many weeks more. The irony that at the end of 2019, oh, you were forced into an isolation. No, I... <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. The timing, It's so hilarious. It's like... 
wow, I just got out of ISO and now I'm going into Jump ISO. Jump back on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the difference was one was by choice and the other is was not originally. Mm. Uh, like, yeah. Although, but then again, and I thought about this a lot last year um, during what was probably, a, I think, our, our most challenging isolation um, in Melbourne at the time. You know, obviously it's still challenged year too, but um, – but last year when it happened the first time, we really, this was, we had no idea. We didn't know what was going to go on and mm. how long it would go for. Um, and so I, I really thought back to this mindset and I thought, well, okay, sure, for the Mars Desert Research stuff and other times I've done isolation training, I've been there by choice and I can then choose to be here. So I just tried to change my mindset in the little box that I lived in in, in Melbourne because I lived in a, at the time I was in a, um, a studio apartment with no balcony. Um, <laughs> it was very small. Um, oh. and so I lived in a small space and I thought, okay, how can I make this a place that I can really feel like I'm at home and I can have a fulfilling experience that I have by choice? Uh, and so, yeah, it really t- it took quite a bit of work mentally to, to, to make that change. Um, but it was made life a heck of a lot easier once I got past that. Yeah, when you were off in the Utah desert and you were with those three guys, mm. you can be perfectly candid with us. Um, <laughs> did it go, did any of you succumb to what is colloquially called space madness or did the fact that you were allowed <laughs> to leave at a certain point in the future and you knew you could leave, did that kind of act as a pressure valve for all of you? Yeah, it's, look, this is a really interesting point, Paul, because it could have been, a bit of a pressure cooker, but it, it wasn't. I think we all found the areas that were challenging um, early on, but but some things did build up a, a couple of times. And I remember one time I was really tense over something that was happening, and um, and I you know I, I practice meditation, and it's such a great way of of helping me be aware of my own behaviour and also those of others. Um, and and then so I thought, well, I can just be tense and be uncomfortable about this, or I can be an adult and raise it. Uh, and so so I raise, look, I'm, I feel this is happening. You know, what am I doing to contribute to this inadvertently or what's going on here? We put, once again, put it out on the table. You can see it and do something with it uh, in a way that's respectful because no one's doing something intentionally mm. to you. And that's kind of the approach I was trying to take there. It's like anything that's happening is not to me directly. It's probably as a reaction to something else that someone else is experiencing. Mm. So... So once I you know, reminded myself of that, I was able to go, oh, am I contributing to something that you're experiencing? It's not a good thing for you. Like, well, let's get down to this. And then gone. Then it was gone. You mentioned uh, dehydrated food before, which just mm. tweaked something for me. And <laughs> Tweaked I... something. Don't pretend you haven't been excited to talk about this for <laughs> weeks, Paul. Yeah. Weeks. You know what? I actually spent the last three or four days, Dan, Googling this thing that I used to enjoy as a kid. So... <laughs> Are you familiar with astronaut ice cream? I am, yeah. Yeah, it's typically sold in like gift shops at science uh, you yeah, know, yeah, museums yeah. and whatever, yeah. So I'm really curious as to whether, because when I was a kid, space food sticks were also a big yeah, thing, right? Yeah, yeah, what was a yeah. space food stick? I don't know what that was. How would you describe them, Diane? They're kind of like, I think you could almost say like they're er- the early version of, of what you call like a um, an energy bar today. Yeah, you know, right. like you go out and buy a protein bar or something like that. But but they were a bit like thinner in size. They had a couple of different flavors. Um, 
kind of brown and sticky. It was like a yeah. sort of the brown and sticky stick. Really, it was like a, it was like a brown <laughs> sticky thing with sort of, and there were two joined. It was like a really disappointing damp Kit Kat, right, with nothing yeah, inside yeah. it. But the packaging spoke of this promise of going to the stars. It felt like this really amazing post space race sort of optimism that was put into yeah. supermarkets, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the much rarer version was the astronaut ice cream. And mm. I ordered a case of this about a year and a half, two years ago, <laughs> because Tegan's dad is a really big space nut. God, he loves space. And I thought, Kevo, you, you have to try this stuff. And it's basically a brick of Neapolitan ice cream that's been dehydrated. Now, I wanted to yeah. ask what, how you rated these snacks and whether, right. you, and whether you got to try any other kind of space food as part of the prep for this. Well, because all the food that we had in the hab was either dehydrated of some fashion or something which was preserved in another way like tinned uh, food um not a lot of tin it was mostly all dehydrated food or dried food um but but coming back to the ice cream versus the space food stick um i mean it's hard to sort of you know reflect back as an adult now as a as a kid it's like ice cream's amazing ice cream's amazing i'll eat it even if it doesn't taste like ice cream um but the space foods i mean are now because authentically only the space food stick actually made it to space. Um, that, that, that was so that... space ice cream wasn't in space? No. Although <gasps> NASA did, they they commissioned its development, though, for the Apollo mission series. So it was, it was NASA wanted this and paid for it to be developed and it was made for NASA. It just never made it up into space. But the space food stick did um and that it made open space to skylab um i don't know if you remember skylab back in 1972 so skylab was um like the early precursor to the international space station sort of thing um so yeah so they made it into space the space stick but uh, not really there now yeah. i'm furious i'm so you were so furious upset. although my Sorry. argument here no my argument here diane is that it's so good they hogged it and didn't want the astronauts taking it off planet because like if, if an alien's buzzing the planet right <laughs> and if they encounter a space station or an astronaut you don't want them getting a taste of something that they want to travel to earth for you want them something you want them to encounter inedible food that will turn them off invading okay but this is i mean this leads us to a very interesting conversation point which is you know, in the 2030s, it is the mm. 2030s, isn't it? You might be going to Mars mm-hmm. and never coming back. I'm sure you've just been asked about all the things that you're going to miss, you know, ad nauseum. But for yeah. me personally, I mean, you know, the outside is nice, but, you know, that's fine. And people are schmucks. I'll get by without them. It's food. It's all about the food. Exactly. If you're going to have to live off dehydrated food, I mean, because you're even being careful with what you eat now. I'd like to say you're just yeah. eating all junk food now so you can get no. your fill, but you're not. You're you're no. much smarter and more responsible <laughs> more than mature. that. Mature. Yeah. That's the word. Um <laughs> How how are you making peace with the food element of this? Yeah, well, it's it, well, it's twofold. I think what you talk about there, Tegan, is is bang on because you you know there is the aspect of if I don't ever get to eat that again, darn it, I'm having it now. Yeah. Um, and the opposite, which is like, well, if I'm going to go to Mars and there's not going to be any cows, maybe I should move away from meat now. It's like, ah, oh, maybe, maybe not. Um, so so there's a whole there's a balance of stuff, and part of that, um. I've been exploring like what does that sort of diet look like and and Mars One's concept for the food system in the early days is to grow all of the own, our own foods, plant um, dominant, um, but support it strongly with insects and algae. So I went and started um, eating insects and algae because, uh, well, gosh, I've been eating vegetables and fruit most of my life, so I know what that tastes like. But I'd never really had insects and algae before, so I thought, oh, I'm better give that a crack and see if that's any good. And I surprised, I was 
surprised by how tasty crickets are. And one thing that surprised me the most was the variety of flavours. Huh. I know. But, you know, there are so many different species of, of crickets that they actually have slightly different flavours. But it shouldn't surprise me because, I mean, not every apple species tastes the same either. I mean, like a pink lady versus a Fuji versus, a, you know, they're, they're all totally different in their flavour and texture and that. So why should crickets all be identical if they're different species? Naturally, there's variety in crickets too. Who knew? So that's been part of my discovery is that I quite enjoy eating insects and um, and that they can be quite flavoursome. But uh, I am also making sure that I have the opportunity to eat as much butter as humanly possible before I leave <laughs> this planet. So unless you get a cow up there, I guess you don't get yeah. butter, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's a, and I mean, I don't think you could imagine a cow in a spaceship so much. That's um, adorable, isn't no. it? Because they can't, you know, the cows can't go downstairs. You can get them upstairs, you can't get them downstairs. Can they not go down? No, they can't go downstairs. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, it's a regular oh. prank in uh, university campuses across uh, America for, for, as like a fraternity thing to get a cow right. to the top level of a library and you literally have to break the roof open and airlift the thing out. Oh, poor cow. It's so cruel. But I mean, I have a very serious scientific question for okay. you, Diane. Uh-oh. Are you worried that if you take a lot of crickets into space, they will mutate and then become super intelligent and take over the colony? <laughs> I think that uh, on the trip to Mars, it's quite likely this initial species will be ones that could be hibernated in some capacity so they wouldn't be uh, busy reproducing in that seven-month journey because uh, mm. you can imagine uh, there'd be a bit of a, uh, an overabundance of them by the time we got to Mars. Oh, um, God, yeah. Because they, well, they breed so quickly. It's another benefit of having insects as a, as a protein source versus um, red meat or, or chicken or whatever else uh, on this planet I, I, in the future. Um, and insects really are considered future food here on this planet. Um, well, well, not to, I think, a lot of nations. It's just us Westerners that think, ooh, crickets, insects, mm, odd. No, it's been eaten by um, Southeast Asia, um, um, South America. Like you, you go to so many other nations and continents and, uh, and people eat insects. We just don't so much in this country. We're not knowingly. Not knowingly, but they're in most cups of coffee that you consume. How? Well, can you imagine when they're going to the roasting process, are they going to wipe down every single bean that they're about to roast and grind to ensure uh, that there's not a single insect on it? Yeah, right. Well done, Diane. You've just ruined coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> with that chocolate, actually. So you'll have the same with cacao. Okay, fair enough. I've actually been thinking about eating insects for a little while because I don't eat nuts and whenever oh, people right. are talking about stir fries, you always need that crunch element. Mm. And because I don't want to sprinkle cashews or peanuts on mm. top of it, I've been wondering whether crickets could be a way to go. Mm. So you've just given me even more uh, desire to give that a shot. Now, we've been chatting with you for quite a while and I know we need to wrap up very, very soon. Oh, okay. yep, so. Yep. Just before we ask you what your desert island dish is or, you know, your Mars dish, really, it could go either way with you. Or the last meal you will ever eat before you bump out. You yeah, there are so yeah. many ins for you. Mm. Um, there have been so <laughs> many things being flung up into space recently. Um, mm. I stayed up with Dad just before this lockdown in Melbourne. I was up in Gippsland with my dad and we watched... Uh, Jeff Bezos' penis? Yeah, that one was... <laughs> I don't know. We got to the end of that night because Dad really loves space and I was really yeah. there for it. We watched the whole thing and felt so cold and so empty at the end of that um, 
spectacle. It felt like a spectacle to me. I feel me. like it, it cheapened really... the whole the majesty of space I don't a little know. bit. Yeah. How, how has mm. this felt for you, this period where all these billionaires keep going up into space? You're still here. You know, I feel like it should be you up there. Um, <laughs> how has this time felt for you? Uh, if you if there's ever a chance to uh, to hashtag Mars needs McGraths, I'll make sure that I, I pass that on to you and we can <laughs> get that happening. Um, oh, look, I think that space exploration, I think all of the billions of dollars that are spent on space exploration, we should always be asking, is that money well spent? And we should be asking that um, from our, uh, not just for space, but for anything else, but like at the government level, are, are we spending our money, our taxpayer money, in areas that are going to add the most to our social benefit as a, as a society, as a community, um, to the environment, whatever else? And I think these days as well, we look to the big brands, we look to the big companies and we want that CSR, we want to see the co- corporate social responsibility, we want to see the, the money we're, that we're putting there being used for social good as well. And and whether that's space or whether that's something else, is that money being spent well? There's a lot of great stuff that comes that's come inadvertently into our society here on Earth by trying to go to space. So we, we wouldn't have, obviously, the chance to have this discussion today without satellite technology. In, in Melbourne, for example, we know that about, I think it's like over 70%, I think nearly 80% of the people who are homeless in the city of Melbourne access most of their services through the internet and using their phones. Uh, and so then you see there's free Wi-Fi all around the cities that are given by the city of Melbourne and the city of Sydney, et cetera, around Australia. So that there is that social benefit there for our community. So a lot of pluses, but will that happen from private industry as well? Potentially, there's there's a the little bit of scepticism as well because obviously we see you know companies who have made a lot of money out of other corporate opportunities, but by trying to trying to do something so extraordinary, sometimes we end up achieving amazing things we didn't intend to as well. Yeah, like astronaut ice cream. Paul. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the most profound <laughs> sentiments that you just... Well, a lot of our food safety stuff has come from um, having to go to space. So what we have in uh, fire retardation materials to protect us has come from space tech. So a lot of really good stuff has come from space because we've had to try and survive in unusual places. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, some pluses that will probably come out of the pub, the private sector that they won't realise will end up with great public benefit in the future. Yeah, like gravity-resistant cowboy hats. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway, speaking of surviving in dangerous and unusual places, you are here on our island. You need to choose the one dish that you will now eat for the rest of eternity. What is your desert island dish? I'm very curious to see whether it will be the kind of dish that you can then feasibly recreate you know, on Mars, or whether it's going to be like a death row blowout. <laughs> uh, I could probably do a modified version on Mars, I think. Um, absolutely. If I, this, my desert island dish would be crumpets, oh. uh, hot crumpets with dripping with butter and honey. So the butter I won't get again on Mars necessarily, but crumpets I could probably produce over time. They'd be a bit rare. Uh, honey, yeah, and bees. Bees would have, because we need to have, those pollinators and insects don't just feed us, they'll be pollinating as well as breaking down um, food waste to, to create new nutrients in the soil. So insects, they're a part of everything. Um, 
it's a very controversial thing as growing up eating crumpets i loved crumpets um there was such a treat as well you see there's a square crumpet these days and not just a round one what happened there yeah it's got the kind of space food stick theme of two strips that you break apart i don't i like the round one but when you say crumpet are you talking one that you basically make yourself from ingredients or the the classic packet one well i have made my own um because i love the packet ones um and even i mean I, i don't tend to eat a lot of carbs i'll be honest these days but i do occasionally have the treat of the crumpet but i i, I made my own and one of the times i made it it really was a, it didn't look a bit like a crumpet it was more like a pikelet so i i mm. rebranded it a um a, a prumpet so <laughs> i make great prumpets <laughs> I just love it, though. I think it is such a quaint and nu- not nourishing. No, I'm not going to say nourishing. No, it's not nourishing, it nourishing at all. I was, yeah, I was, it, it will nourish your soul Nothing for nourishing. certain. But um, exactly. I, I think that that is such a great choice and it is, it's unexpected. I wasn't expecting that from you, but I think that that's been the most case with our dishes. I can never pick what somebody's desert island dish is going to be. And I want you to be the first one ever to make a crumpet on Mars. If you can, oh, seriously? Do my best. Be because I mean, I'm sure there's ways to get some kind of because there's vegan butter. There's got to be some sort of you know you could milk up milk a cricket, right? <laughs> That's an upsetting thought. Just get very small. Maybe are those those ones that will mutate, as you mentioned before, Paul. Yeah, they'll get very big on the trip over and develop udders, and then we're in a we're in science fiction territory at this point. So this is yeah. awesome. <laughs> Look, thank you so much. I can only imagine how busy you are and with people still trying to pick your brains all the time about Mars. But I'm going to continue, as always, watching your journey. And, man, I hope that you are one of the people who represent us on Mars because I would be so proud if it's you. It would just... It would just feel so great if that was the case. So thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thanks, Tegan. Thanks, Paul. It's been awesome. That was absolutely incredible. But, Tegan, I have a confession to make. Oh, go on. I have uh, fallen into a bit of a hole online, and I've been desperately trying to find where I can order astronaut ice cream from. It's extremely hard to find. You basically need to contact, you know, via phone or fax, science kind of museum gift shops in middle America and beg them to send you cases of leftover surplus astronaut ice cream. Oh, my God. But apparently there is a recipe online for making your own astronaut ice cream. Are you saying that when... Our Darren mixing bowl arrives, yep. our Darren ice cream mixing bowl. Yep. We'll be able to make normal ice cream. Uh-huh. And then what are we going to do? Freeze dry it? <laughs> yeah, you basically make the ice cream. Then you, I think, you, yeah, there's a way to freeze dry it. And then there's another recipe which has the flavor palette, like you use ice cream in it, but it's basically a tray bake, almost like a honeycomb, right? Ooh. Yeah. So you basically have a sheet of ice cream ish stuff and then you smash it and you eat the shards. Well, look, it's no denying that food has gotten us through many a dark lockdown day. Oh, yeah. And I know that we're talking about a really different situation. Going to Mars and not coming back Mm. is not the same as lockdown, but it's a pretty good analogy. (laughs) Look, I I can't say whether or not I would go to Mars. However, I know that Diane's research has Mm. shown that down here we can be doing better on Earth. And when lockdown started, and you and I have spoken about this quite a lot, all of the things that we were doing to be better about waste and better about the environment sort of flew out the window a bit. I mean, it started with the keepy cups. You could no longer do the reusable cups at cafes. And then everything tumbled. And I think now, after listening to Diane, that was a really good wake-up call that, yeah, we may be going through this global pandemic, but we still need to look after the resources and the world that we're on now. Mm. Because if Diane goes to Mars, I... 
I truly hope she does. And I have, it, it just, it gives me so much comfort to think that somebody like her could be helping forge humanity's way into the stars. But that's not a guarantee. And right now, all we do have is Earth and, and we have limited resources. We cannot be wasting as much as we are. Paul, I, I want us to do better. 100%. I couldn't agree more. Food is a very precious resource, and we only have one planet. Look, Diane's entire thesis is available online if you're interested in reading it. It's fascinating stuff. But our guest next week, Tegan, is someone we have been dying to speak to for a long time. He's also really passionate about reducing waste in the kitchen, and along the way happens to create some of Australia's most loved recipes. It's Adam Liao. We actually got him. Adam Liao's coming on the show next week, so make sure you tune into that. But for now... Read Diane's thesis, or if you don't have time for that, just think about waste. Let's all do a little bit better. Absolutely. Have a great week, everyone. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dish Island. Dish is part of the Acast Creator Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.